Ooh, amen. Good morning. My name is Ben, one of the pastors at Hope. Today we're going to be in the book of James and everywhere. So, you know, good luck. You can keep up as well as you can. But we'll be in James chapter 1. Uh, to start, you can turn or tap your way to James 1. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, please don't panic. We'll have those verses on the screen. Love to give you a copy on your way out. In this series about things that are difficult, I would say it's difficult because we're talking about hard things. Not really. We're talking about men, women, love, identity, sexuality, gender, and it can seem contentious. However, what seems contentious about it is our refusal to submit to God. That's how we started the whole thing. We started talking about judges. We started talking about the Proverbs. We started talking about Paul And the way that we went about it was saying, golly, Lord, there's a check against me hearing you say that you get to decide who I am. And at the the core of what it is to be a person, I'm dependent on you. Ooh, that's hard to hear in our modern world. We have been telling ourselves that you get to choose who you are. We've been telling ourselves that we are our own, what, meaning makers? It sounds dramatic to say God, but certainly we're our own definers. And so when we come to these points of what it is to be you and your, your most deep-seated identity statements, like who you love and who you are, yeah, it's a check for God to say, I decide, not you. I decide, not culture. It's a check. And so we've been looking at hard things, but hey, it's really been one hard thing. And so each of these times that we've had a different topic we've been talking about, it's it's not really my job to just say, here's what the Bible says about sexuality, or here's what the Bible says about identity, about gender, about the defining of the categories or the permanence of the categories. I'd be surprised if you walked in here not knowing what the Bible says about that stuff. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. In general, though, my my arguments have been more about, hey, is it okay that God gets to decide who we are? Is that a good arrangement? Is it something you should want? Now, that doesn't address whether or not it's true, but if it is something you should want, you're more likely to start asking the question of whether or not it's true. Today, I want to do that again. I want to think one last time. Next week, we've got one more week in this series, but next week, we'll kind of go a different direction. But one last time about, is God a God who will make you happy? If I'm with him, will it be a good thing? If I go about my life his way, will I be happy? Because we have a fundamental disconnect in our heads between holiness, and happiness. They're either ors. I can either have holiness or I can have happiness. I can either have oil or I can have water. Peanut butter and jelly are two different things that go together. Oil and water are two different things that don't. I can either have holiness or I can have happiness. God is certainly holy. Therefore, he can't make me happy. Do you see that distinction? You should. It's really simple. I just, <laughs> there's just two categories. <laughs> it, it, it's either or in our minds. That we, he can either be good or he can be fun. 
but you can't be both. Rachel and I laugh about that a lot. Show we were watching, talking about how you can't have two fun parents. One parent could be silly and make waffles upside down, you know, but the other parent's got to make sure you got lunch money and that the kids are at school on time. You can't have two fun parents. We have that idea with God. He can either be God or he can be fun, but he can't be both. That's where I want us to look at James 1, 16 and 17. It says, without category, don't be deceived. That assumes that we're either being deceived or want to be deceived. There's an enemy that's going to try and deceive us on this front. Don't be deceived. Every, not some or even the really good ones, but not all, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom... There is no variation or shadow due to change. I love these parts of Scripture where you can see that the guy who's writing it is trying to just say as, as fully and hard and like without possible argument as possible one good thing about God. Listen, you're not going to believe this, but I'm telling you, don't be deceived. I'm telling you, all the good and perfect gifts, like all of them, every single one, come from God. God, who doesn't change? It is like he, every time he preaches this, somebody else goes, but what about, and he's like, okay, okay, okay. Everyone, and he never changes. Don't be deceived. Everyone. He's making a, a, a hard case that every pleasure comes from God. And he said, well, no, 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 no. If I want to be happy, I want to go find pleasure, i got to go do all the things God says I can't have. That's why there's a distinction. I can either be holy and sit with you and pray or whatever you do, or I can be happy and go to the bar and drink and have fun and eat and, and hang out with my friends. Either or. Scripture says absolutely not. God is the place where all the good things that you think of as pleasures come from. And there's a really great place where this thing kind of gets flipped right side up. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book, Screwtape Letters. It's about one demon writing advice to another demon. So, you know, once you get past that, then the content of it is really fun and helpful. But he, he says, never forget that when we, meaning tempters, are dealing with any kind of pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's ground. Enemy, now remember, he's a devil. So enemy, he's talking about God. In a sense, we're on God's ground. I know we've won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made all the pleasures. All our demonic research so far has not enabled us to produce one. Think about this. All we can do is encourage the humans to take the pleasures which God has produced at times or in ways or in degrees to which he has forbidden. Hence, we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that in which it is least natural, least redolent of its maker, reminding you of its maker, least pleasurable. Tell me that's not true. 
He's saying that every pleasure, when it's had in a healthy way, in a satisfying way, is from the Lord. Anytime we take the Lord's pleasures and we twist them in time, in ways, or degree in which he has forbidden, then we have not only sin, but we have the pleasure in a way that is less natural, that doesn't connect us to the giver and is least pleasurable. It may seem like I'm beating a dead horse, but you have to see the distinction the enemy has made. James said, don't be deceived. I'm telling you, you are deceived. Because you think that pleasure has to be found outside of God. And at some point, you're going to have to give up because you know you're going to die and face judgment or whatever. So I'm going to have to give up pleasure at some point and become a monk. Because that's the only way to be holy is to go behind stone walls and, you know, shave your head and sit there, or whatever monks do. You have that either or in your mind. But that's not what God says. We have to untwist that twist. And today we're talking about marriage. It doesn't sound like it, but wait. Today we're talking about marriage because I want to help you see the twist that marriage helps to untwist. Otherwise, again, you're going to be totally screwed. God gives us pleasures, and we twist them to be less natural. We twist them to be less likely to lead us to Him. We twist them, and in the twisting, we lose the satisfaction. Think about it with addiction. I'm going to use Bible words for some of this. So, you know, don't hear it too heavy, but, but gluttony. You know, we say overeating and everybody, you know, yeah, of course. And if you go into like a lot of Christian churches, you'll find a lot of people that aren't real concerned about it. But it's a sin. It is. Gluttony is not a thing that's okay. And yet, let me ask you about it. Food tastes good. It satisfies. That's why God gave it. It's a pleasure. It was in the garden. They were in a garden of fruit. You were allowed to eat. It was something that he gave us to do. He made us dependent on it dependent on him. And yet, when food becomes what most of us make it, we eat all the time. I used to laugh about that early in our marriage. It'd be time to eat. We're going to go eat. Rachel said, I'm not really hungry. And I'm like, what does that have to do with eating? <laughs> We're eating because that's what we do. It's been long enough to reasonably go eat again. That's why we're eating. But is that what food is for? If the food satisfies, why do I just keep trying to shove it in and find new corners to add? Go to drink. Go to drunkenness. If I go to the drink in order to feel peace, or I go to the drink in order to feel pleasure, if I go to the drink in order to feel invincible, what's happening? Proverbs calls it Man, in probably the most drastic place you see in Scripture, Proverbs 23, 29 to 35 says, Who has woe? Who's got sorrow? Who's got strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without a reason? Who has big redness around their eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Don't look at wine when it's red and it sparkles in the cup because it goes down smooth. 
In the end, it bites like a serpent and it stings like an adder. That's another word for a snake. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. You'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. What's he saying about booze? Woe, sorrow, strife, complaining, wounds without cause. Why? You go to something that he's given as a good pleasure and you twist it. Don't ever have more than one. Can you drink? Jesus made water and wine. Can you drink? Of course. I don't know. Maybe some of you, you're addicted and you shouldn't. But yeah, the Bible doesn't say nobody could ever drink anything. But if you drink anything more than just a little bit, what are you doing? It's so easy to slip past it and say, okay, I'm going from something that's celebratory that God's given as a good gift into I'm going to take his good gift and I'm going to twist it. Because I'm here for pleasure. I need this for happiness. And I can either have happiness or I can have holiness. I can't have both. So I'm going to choose happiness here. And then maybe I'll sober up and choose holiness later and try to balance it out. (laughs) Really? If the drink doesn't satisfy, then it really isn't even giving you happiness. See, the problem, the enemy tries to break apart holiness and happiness and say, take the happiness and leave the holiness. But if you choose happiness instead of holiness, you end up with neither one. That's what he's describing as the person who goes after drink as a way to make themselves happy. We know that about gluttony, but you can find it all over our culture. Don't just poke at the two that I've mentioned so far. Think about pornography. We can't have a series on sexuality and not talk about probably the worst thing going on right now. The massive number of people who spend massive amounts of time looking at something that is absolutely eating their soul like acid. Look at something that's the same and yet the opposite. Video games. I I don't know that there's anything principally sinful about video games in the same way there is about pornography. Tetris, I mean, there's nothing. You know, it's just a video game. It's just a game. But if you go to it to find happiness instead of holiness, to find something that God has given, maybe, I don't know, given in order to find something that he's given to get your pleasure out of it, get identity out of it, get, get, get some way to hide from the world in it. The reason that I'm connecting it in some way with pornography, I don't think it's the same, but the reason I'm connecting it in some way is in both cases I'm trying to get away from the world. Looking for power looking for pleasure. I'm looking for peace. But I'm looking for it without holiness. I'm looking for it in an unnatural way. It's either holiness or happiness. I'm going to choose happiness, not holiness, but you end up with neither. You see this with addiction. Somebody looks through the eyes of, of whatever this addictive substance is or this addictive practice is, and they're thinking that this is going to give me happiness. I know that it's going to break me eventually, but right now all I care about is that it is going to give me happiness. I've got this itch, and it will, it will scratch this itch. But every time they take and every time they overdo, the itch gets bigger and the scratch gets less until they're left with just the itch. 
They went after happiness, not holiness, and they got neither. They end up in rehab, which looks like holiness without happiness, meaning a place where I'm going to go to get better that is not going to be fun. Withdrawals are horrifying. But you have to go through it in order to live happiness or holiness. If there is any kind of break in those, it's because we've created two different categories. It's because we've broken apart. We're so convinced. We're so deceived. James told us not to, but we're so deceived by the enemy about this that we can't imagine that holiness will lead to happiness. But I'm telling you, God's telling you, that you have to learn to pick holiness. As scary as it may seem, as austere as it may seem, as dry as it may seem. If I try happiness without holiness, I end up with neither. If I try holiness, even if I'm convinced there's no happiness there, eventually I get everything. We talked about it last week when we were talking about Jesus saying you have to pick up your cross to follow him. He taught that if you try to save your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you find it. Seek first the kingdom and everything else gets added back in. I don't know what a heavenly video game looks like, but if there is one, that's coming. But if I break apart God's good gifts and my desires, who I want to be, I want to seek peace and pleasure and some level of power outside of God's plan for me. Then, seeking happiness apart from holiness, I'll get neither one. We have to begin by realizing that it is through him that we're going to have that peace, have that pleasure, and have that effectiveness. It says in Psalm 3, 1 through 4, we can get peace through the Lord. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I've got nothing but danger around me, and yet peace. How many of the pleasures that we abuse are offering us peace? And yet, it's not really giving us any kind of peace. It's just giving us a distraction from the things that are scaring us. Yet God offers peace. In him we get pleasure. Psalm 23. You should memorize this psalm. It's really short and beautiful. Psalm 23. He talks about in the middle of this valley of the shadow of death. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Food, drink, not just medicine, but like the cleanliness, the, the pleasure of the sense of, of oil. Like, like that God is giving you an overwhelming tapestry of different things to enjoy and be satisfied by. He makes you strong. And you go to pornography because you want to feel strong. You want to feel desired. You want to feel what? But it's the Lord who makes you strong. It says in Psalm 18, 31 to 34, Who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock? Who is a place we can stand except our God? 
the God who equipped me with strength, and he made my way blameless. He made the feet, my feet, like the feet of a deer, and he set me on the secure, set me secure on the heights. He trained my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Do you see what the enemy's doing? He's promising all of this stuff that he can't deliver, all of this stuff that God actually can deliver. And he's saying the only thing is you have to not get it from God. And that's the only place you can get it from death. We need rehab. We need something that will constantly show us the beauty of his love over the distractions that we're always trying to use to give us some kind of pleasure instead of God. We need a solution. This is why it's a sermon on marriage. If marriage is about my happiness, not my holiness, it fits into the same category as all these other things. And I'm going to break it, and it's going to break me. However, if marriage is about my holiness first, even at the expense of my happiness, then now we've got something. Now marriage can do what it's supposed to do. Listen, there are fairy tale weddings. I've seen them. Who knows how many cars and livers and whatever they had to sell in order to pay for these things. But these beautiful, massive Disneyland explosions of, of celebration that happen on fairy tale weddings, they do happen. But there are no fairy tale marriages. Because once you sit down to actually being married, he's a creep and she's kind of naggy and he's really lazy and she just is never satisfied and, and it, it breaks down immediately. Why? Because you and her, her and you are, oh, I'm, I meant to flip it because I'm talking to guys and girls. You and her, you and him are sinners. And God has put us together in these marriages now for an opportunity, an unparalleled opportunity for holiness, for that experience of rehab. Now, oh gosh, I'm making it sound so dark, but it's only dark if you separate holiness and happiness. I've got to have somewhere where I can go every single day and die to myself. When you are married, you wake up every day next to somebody who you can serve and actually are supposed to serve all day. Now, really, I'm serving God, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve God in order, uh, uh, by means of serving this spouse. I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to care for this person. But the reason that I'm going to do that is because this marriage is teaching me about him. Remember, we try to found this whole idea of what a man is and what a woman is and how they relate, certainly how they relate in marriage, to the, the connection between Christ and the church. Ephesians 5, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you see... Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and the wife see that she respects her husband. We've got problems as a church. We've got problems as a community, but we reflect the community in this church with divorce. 
gosh, it's so sticky and hard to talk about because people have gone through it. But the people that have gone through it, I, I hope you'll join with me in helping to, to, to create some kind of environment where it happens less because it's just so painful. But I'm in the position as a pastor of hearing people that are contemplating divorce and they tell you stuff. No, I just don't fit. You know, I just don't love her anymore. Yeah, I had to live a lie in order to marry her. I had to pretend to be somebody I'm not, and I'm ready to just go and be me. That person is standing in the way of me being the fullest me I can be. That person is standing in the way of my pleasure. Really. In almost all of those cases, (laughs) that means that you are finally ready for the marriage to start. You're ready for the marriage to force you to die to yourself in order to serve the other person. And yeah, there's all kinds of things that are out there. Yes, if he's beating you, get out of the house. If she cheated on you, let's talk. I'm not going to paint everything with such a broad brush. I understand that there's lots of different situations. However, marriage has been given for your holiness and will lead to your happiness. But if you flip it, you say, no, even my marriage is going to be about my happiness instead of, watch what happens. Listen, I I talk about this and I know it's heavy. I talk about this and some of you are in marriages that are really difficult and you're saying as wives, listen, last week you said that word submit. That's a scary word. That's an awful word. How can I submit when I, I have to be married to this guy? Well, Can I tell you that, again, if if he's beating you, get out of there. If he's cheating on you, let's talk. You're not supposed to do this alone. But your job, if you're married to a terrible person, may be more difficult than other people's jobs in marriage, but it's not fundamentally different. You are still given to serve that person. The husband is still called to die for that wife like Christ died for the church. The wife married to an unbelieving husband. 1 Peter 3 says, Likewise, wives should be subject to their own husbands. So that even if some don't obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. That by giving yourself, you are going to Show him the love of Christ that will get in and somehow win him over. Same with husbands towards wives, that as you die to self, doing everything you can to make sure that she is well cared for, led well, provided for well, protected well, you are giving her a perfect, not perfect, a a somewhat better picture of who Christ is and his love for her. And again, all of this, just like everything else we've been talking about so far, is impossible. It's so painful, it's so difficult to trade in our minds, they're not the different things, but in our minds to trade happiness in order to seek holiness. You go about it and you're just going to fail. But the Christian message is not choose God's way over your way, good luck. The Christian message is to be married to your wife and to serve her the way that Christ has served you. I brought it up more than once in this series. Christ took off his clothes, 
wrapped a towel around his waist, and then washed the disciples' feet. That's our example. But in that same dinner, he also broke bread and blessed the wine and gave them his body and his blood. There's a point at which your marriage no longer reflects Christ's marriage towards the church. You're going to do everything you can to wash her with the water of the word and to give her a clear picture of who Christ is. But ultimately, it was Christ that died for us. Christ, who, as he gave his life for us, made a way for us who are crummy, 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 not just people, but husbands and wives, to be forgiven and brought back into his presence. So while the, the scriptures give us this crystal clear picture of the way we are supposed to live, and that picture is broad and the picture is difficult, the main message of scripture is not how should you live. The main message of scripture is how Christ has come to save you. Listen. I don't know where you're at this morning. You may be in an addiction. You may be in a rough marriage. You may be in the aftermath of a rough marriage. You may be single. We're going to talk more about that next week in a beautiful, glorious way. And you may not be a believer at all. You may not be a Christian. In any of those categories... What you need more than anything else is to be known by a God who fully loves you. To be forgiven by a God who is going to teach you marriage, not by giving you rules, but by loving you and serving you even to the cross. Do you know that love? If so, now you've finally got something that can begin to grow in you and create in you a life, even when it feels like you're dying in order to pursue what he's given you to do. But as a church, the more we do that and the more we live that, not only the healthier our marriages are going to be, but the clearer the gospel we will preach. Let's pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, I ask that you would teach us to know marriage as the opportunity to live for your holiness rather than what seems like our happiness. The world wants us to choose our happiness and reject holiness, though the enemy knows that that's going to just lead to our death. And yet, Lord, you are always promising for us to seek you and to seek you where we can find you, to be going after you and your ways. And Lord, if we'll do that, even if it feels like dying, if we'll do that, We'll have life to the full. Lord, please let us see that, know that, and model that to our world. In your holy name we pray.